Well, I know it's going to be a, uh, a bit longer night here at church than we normally have because of the movie, and it's already been a full day. Uh, but I do want us to obviously draw our attention to the Word of God just for a short time, and I want you to go back to Psalm 23, the text that Albert read, and it's a, a familiar psalm I know, probably of all the psalms, it's the most well-known psalm. And so I don't want to be exhaustive, uh, but just in our short time, just draw out a few helpful uh, things that I see that uh, David uh, says here that will uh, uh, encourage us. Uh, I, I don't have a title on your bulletin, but the title is uh, David's, uh, there's a couple different ways you can title, David's Secret to Contentment and Happiness or Lessons from David on happy, Happiness and Contentment. Because as you read this psalm, this is uh, David in a state of contentment. Uh, this is David in a state of, of happiness. I, I don't think he wrote this at a young age. I don't think, obviously, he wrote this at a time where he was fleeing Saul or he was in trouble. I think this was a time where he wrote uh, at an older age where he uh, found peace and tranquility and contentment and, and, and happiness. As I often say, he is a happy sheep here. Based on the first text, what is interesting, just by way of beginning, is that Psalm 23, and it's the Psalm of David, is obviously uh, is not David uh, a Psalm of David written chronologically. David wrote a number of Psalms, and you keep moving your way through the Psalter, you have other Psalms of David that were actually uh, written earlier. So, all, all, ultimately, the question is, well, why is this here? And it's because from Psalm 22 to Psalm 24, you actually have a what's known as a trilogy of psalms that reflects the Messiah. Now, this is a psalm of David that reflects on his life and reflects on how he has learned to be happy and content. Uh, but in the context, the overall broader context, this is a, a, a psalm that reflects the, the Messiah and his, in David's relationship to the Messiah, relationship to Christ. But it fits or is sandwiched in between two other psalms that reflect on the Messiah as well. I mean, Psalm 22, as you know, is a messianic psalm. It's a psalm of David. You go back to Psalm 22 in that very first verse. It's my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That's familiar words because those are the words that Jesus spoke, uh, cried out on the cross. When you go over to Psalm 24, you look at verse, 20, uh, verse 7. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the King of glory will come in. This is his future. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of armies. He is the King of glory. Psalm 24 reflects the, the coming or the second coming of Messiah. Psalm 22 reflects the first coming of Messiah, of the Messiah. And what you have here in Psalm 23, you could say, is the present time. This, this is for David, but this is for all of us, is how we reflect with our relationship with the Messiah. You say, well, what, what kind of relationship is, is that? Well, you notice there in verse 2, he says, he leads me. In verse 3, he says, he guides me. In verse 6, he says, in a sense, uh, he follows me. And then back up to verse 4, uh, he, he's with me. So he leads, he guides, he follows, and he's right beside me. In other words, I'm surrounded by the presence of God. I think that's pretty neat. And as I said, that 
points to his happiness. If you go back a few uh, chapters to Psalm 1611, you notice there at the end of that Psalm, 1611, he says this, In your presence is abundant joy, and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. Uh, the point is, in the presence of God, you become content. In the presence of God, you become joyful. In the presence of God, you're, you're happy. It's all about being in the presence of God. As I look at um, the church and look at um, the people, Christians, so-called Christians in the church, and, and, and kind of observed over the years, and, and it's not just me that's observed this, th there seems to be a lot of discontent sheep. There seems to be a lot of unhappy sheep. I mean, you look outside the church and to the world, mental health, everybody's talking about mental health. I mean, that's the, the, the industry to get into at the moment. That's the business to get into. Everybody from uh, a four-year-old kindergarten to a an elderly person that's on a pension. Everybody's dealing with mental health. Everybody has mental health issues, and I'm not minimizing those issues, but I'm not sure people are really dealing with the, the issues as they are supposed to do, to, to be. Uh, and then you come into the church, and again, you still have people with all sorts of mental, quote-unquote, health issues, and I don't think the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing in terms of helping people deal with their, quote-unquote, mental health issues. Let's ask David as a start. If we believe that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness and our path to happiness, our path to contentment, our path to joy, which is all related to mental health, um, then we would find the answer in the Bible. And in particular, we can find it here with David. And, and so what I want to, to do, just again in our short time, is to give you David's fourfold plan to happiness and contentment. I mean, if you're sitting here tonight and you think, oh, I, I, I'm discontent, I'm unhappy, I'm miserable, then you, you need to listen to this. This is a, a message for you. This is David at the end of his life, as I said, looking back, reflecting on it, saying, I am, a, I am just a content, happy sheep, and this is how I got here. It's only six verses, so it's not a long way to get there. But let's get there nevertheless. So here's, here's the, the first step. Right, again, this is David's fourfold plan or four steps to happiness and contentment. How did you get there, David? Well, here, here's how I got there. Number one, submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That, that's where it all begins. Submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a number of ways we, we can say that, but obviously it comes in the very first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. Stop right there for a moment. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, we, we know this. And th this psalm probably, we know it too well, so we, we hear it. And it's, All right, Todd, tell me something else. But do we really know it? All right, let me say it another way. We know the psalm, but we do, do we really know the shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. Now, you need to know in the ancient Near East, when this was written, in the, in the world that David lived, a shepherd was the same thing as a what? A king. The kings were known as shepherds. Now, there was a shepherd. David was a king, but before he was a king, he was a shepherd. He, yes, he went out and he was tending the sheep. 
And so there was that kind of shepherd. But obviously we're not talking about the Lord as that kind of shepherd in this sense. He is king. He's David's covenantal king. Now, uh, uh, how do you get there? You're, you're probably asking me. Well, you get there because you need to understand how the Psalter works. Go back to Psalm 1. I'll do this really quickly. But I, I think this will be helpful. Uh, Psalm 23 is Psalm 23, but Psalm 23 is part of a book of Psalms. There's 150 Psalms, right? And, and you have to read it as a book. Yes, you can read it as individual psalms, but it helps if you take a step back sometimes and read it as a book, which means you need to understand the introduction and you need to understand the conclusion. You need to understand the surrounding psalms, and I already gave you that, noting Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. But back in Psalm 1, the whole Psalter begins with the word that's asherah in the Hebrew. Asherah means blessed, right? Or in the Christian Standard Bible, how happy. You can translate it happy. You can tra translate it how contentful. You can translate it how joyful or, or just blessed. And the, and the point is, if you're going to enter the book of Psalms, which is a book of praises, if you're going to live a life of praises, you, you, you first need to be a blessed person. You need to be a happy, content, joyful person. And how do you become that? Well, it gives you the negative. It, that's the one who never walks in the advice of the wicked, never stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the company of mockers or scoffers. Rather, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and in that he meditates day and night. So let's this, this, this just begin where you have to begin. If you want to be a happy, content sheep, you're going to find it in the Word of God. You're going to meditate on the Word of God, and you're never going to find it out there. You're never going to cultivate habits like the world. You're never going to uh, think like the world. You're never going to act like the world. There's a, there's a huge demarcation between those who are happy and those are not truly happy. Now, Psalm 1 is connected to Psalm 2 because that same word closes Psalm 2. If you go down to verse 12 of Psalm 2, pay homage to the son or he will be angry with you and you will perish in your rebellion for his anger may ignite any moment and all you who take refuge in you are happy. So Psalm 1 begins with happy, Psalm 2 ends with happy, their book ends. At one point, we do believe that they were one psalm. Somewhere along the line, they were divided between Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. You put the two psalms together, what it's saying is if you truly want to be happy, you're only going to find happiness in the Word of God, and once you get into the Word of God, the happiness is only going to be found in the person, and that's who? The Son, because you're going to pay homage to the Son. You're going to submit yourself to the Son. And who's that? It's Jesus Christ ultimately, the Messiah. So that's how you begin reading the Psalter. I, I call Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 bouncers, holy bouncers. You can't get into the Psalms and live out the Psalms. You can't walk with the psalmist in his highs and his lows and stay faithful until you first walk through the doors of Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And my point is, as you come back to Psalm 23, David's already done that. That's why my first point is submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he's already done that back in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Now, by the way, we, there's good reason to believe that he wrote Psalm 1. We know he's wrote, written Psalm 2 because Peter tells, that, tells us that in Acts 4. And if they were one Psalm at one time, then that refers back to David. 
So when David says, and the Lord, uh, the Lord is, and notice that's present, not was, not will be, the Lord is, and notice Lord is all capitals, that's Yahweh's name. What he's saying is that Yahweh is my king. I am in a covenant relationship with him. I've already bowed the knee. I've already submitted. I've already done homage and kissed the son. That's all packed in there in that first verse. Yahweh's not some genie that uh, stuffed in some lamp and I rub and out comes and I, he gives me three wishes. No, he, he's my shepherd. But by the way, just to, to carry this whole blessed thing, happiness thing, really to the end, go over to Psalm, sorry, not Psalm, Revelation 22.14. Now, this, this, this is, we understand this, whether David fully understood this, I think he had an idea of this, of course, but in terms of its full understanding, it comes here in Revelation 22.14. This is the, the New Testament word for the Hebrew word, makarios, Revelation 22, 14, blessed. That's happy. There it is. And who are those that are happy? Who wash their robes. Why do they need their robes washed? Because they were dirty. Why were they dirty? Because they were sinful. You might have a footnote, by the way, in your Bible, that some manuscripts say, blessed are those uh, who keep his commands. That, that's a minor... Um, uh, comment and minor agreement. Most translations have that, what you have there in the, in the text. But in the sense, blessed are those who keep his commands. I can work with that, as we talked about this morning. It's obedience. But at the end of the day, it's blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. That's obviously talking about heaven. You want to get to heaven, blessed are you who have washed your robes. You've Submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You've believed in Him and your sins are forgiven. These are, this is why when Martin Lloyd-Jones years ago said in, in the preface of writing and preaching on the spiritual depression that a depressed Christian is a horrible, horrible repre representation of Christianity. It's a horrible advertisement for Christianity. Because you, 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 the people out there are miserable and then you're supposed to say that God's changed me and uh, I, I'm a changed person now, but you don't live any differently and you're still miserable. That, that's not a good recommendation for the gospel. What you see in Psalm 1, what you see here in Psalm 23, what you see there in Revelation 22 and we can, a host of other verses, the point is that as a Christian, we're the most happiest people on the planet. Now, sometimes we have to work for that. We have to work for our joy because we're dealing with the flesh. But David says, no, 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 no. The, the, the first thing, the first thing I need to tell you in my little path uh, of, of, of being a uh, secret, as it were, to happiness and contentment is it all begins with the submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, notice what he says right after that. I what? 
Now, the Christian Standard Bible says, I have what I need, a number of different translations. The literal translation is probably what you have heard over the years. I lack uh, or I, uh, I shall not want. I shall not. And, and the not there is I never want. In, in Hebrew, let me just give you a little bit of a Hebrew. Uh, Hebrew has two types of negation. One is probable and one is factual. Do you understand the two? Probable is a maybe not. Um, the factual is never. This is obviously the never. I never want. I never lack anything. He gives me what I need. That's contentment. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And you're sitting there saying, no, no, no. I, I really need this. I, I really want that. No, you don't. Because if you needed it, the Lord would provide for it. You would have it. Now, it's not wrong to have particular desires, and you can pray for that, and the Lord may answer that prayer. And you can wait on him for that. But right now, at the moment, Right now, at the moment, the Lord is your shepherd and you lack nothing. Does, does that help some of you? So it begins with submission. It begins with the submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And what's another word for submission? Obedience. Obedience. Let me, let's move on to what we might say is the second step. The second step towards happiness and contentment. Uh, and just to keep the alliteration, let's call this study. Study and enjoy Christ's benevolent provisions. So the first one, you're submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The second is that you're actually meditating or, or studying Christ's benevolent provisions. And this comes in verses 2 to 3. He says, He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores or renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Um, you say, Todd, how, how do you get in study or meditating? Well, look. Sheep are restless until they're full. I don't know if you know anything about sheep. I don't. I had to read this in a book. But sheep are, are, are restless until their bellies are fed. So the great shepherd leads me where? Beside or in green pastures. Obviously that's a metaphor for food. He takes me there. And, and by the way, when I say he takes me there, that's really the literal uh, uh, understanding of the verbs. When, he, when you read there, he lets me and he leads me, uh, even when you come down to verse 6 and um, not verse 6, uh, verse 4, he renews me. Those are all in what we call in Hebrew a causative sense or a causative verb, meaning that he actually does this. 
He leads me. There's a causation there. He's the one that is leading me because if it was up to me, like stupid sheep, I'd be out on bypath meadow. I mean, that's what sheep do, right? If you don't lead them, they're going to go everywhere. So you need a shepherd that actually takes you and leads you. And he brings you to where you need to go. And what is what do you need? You need the word of God. That's green pastures. What do you need? You need still waters. You need spiritual food and spiritual nourishment, spiritual drink, whatever you want to call it. And sheep won't go to waters that are uh, not still. They only go to waters that are quiet and still. So David says here, I, 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 I submit myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but then I, I study, I, I know, and I enjoy Christ's benevolent provisions. And notice he does it for his name's sake. There's a reputation here. Uh, he, he does it because we are his. That renews or restores whatever you have there. That, again, points to the fact that we need constant refreshment. So submit, study. Thirdly, and this brings us into verses 4 to 5, stay close to him. Stay close to him. Or, or, or another way of putting it is walk with God through hard times. You could say in a sense that him taking you to green pastures and and you lying down there and feeding off his word and resting by still waters, that's all preparation for what's coming in verse 4 and verse 5. I don't know how many of us actually prepare. We, we don't know when trials come into our lives. They, they could come tonight. They could come tomorrow. But I, I think many of us, just we, we play too much. We, we, we play too much. We don't, we don't prepare ourselves for life. Or to put it uh, as Paul puts it in 2 Timothy, we don't discipline ourselves for godliness. Because trials are going to come, and David's had his fair of trials, so notice what he says there in verse 4. Uh, he, he says, even, even, even though, I mean, I love being by still waters, and I love being in green pastures, and he does this, he does this for his name's sake. But even though I'm not by the still waters and I'm not by the green pastures, I might find myself in the darkest of valleys. And when I go there, I never, there's a factual negative there, I never uh, um, am in danger. Why? Because you are with me. My shepherd is with me. I... I I might backslide for a bit, but I, I'm not going to backslide for long. Why? Well, there's a rod in their staff that's going to come and get me. That's the shepherd's rod, shepherd's staff. I might find myself, again, out in Bypath Meadow, but I'm not going to, if I'm, I'm his and for his reputation and for his sake, he's, I'm not going to be out there long. He's going to keep pulling me back. 
And, and by the way, just going back to verse 3, he leads me along right paths. And so that rod and staff, when, he fi- when I find myself off the right paths, he's going to be pulling, myself, pulling me back to the right paths. Or you might have paths of righteousness. The, the, the Hebrew there, by the way, has the idea of well-worn out tracks. Well-worn out tracks. Uh, you know, you, you drive out in the country and, you know, you see fields and fields of, let's say, corn or, or wheat. But, but then all of a sudden in the middle there's tracks where the tractors have to go. I mean, they made the tracks. And they keep using those tracks over and over and over and over again. Well, that's the idea. In, in other words, we, we, we know what those tracks are because they're tracks of righteousness. They're the old tracks. They're the ancient tracks. It goes all the way back because these are God's tracks, the righteous tracks. And so David says, I, 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 I'm content and happy because he leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along those ancient paths. And he does it for his namesake. But even though I go through the darkest valley, I will never fear. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I mean, all of this is imagery that he's in danger. Being in front of your enemies is not a happy thing. But setting up a table and eat in front of your enemies means that you're what? You're at rest. You're at peace. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack a thing. I don't lack any fear. I don't lack any type of... I don't fear any trouble that's going to come to me, whether it's a dark valley, enemies. And then he even says there at the end of verse 5, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I mean, that, that's a picture of, of you're happy all the time. It's a picture of what Psalm 1 says, that in season, bad season, you prosper all the time. That there's fruit there all the time. But that only happens when you stay close. That's, that was the point, right? It only happens when you walk with God through the hard times. When you're not walking with God, you, you're going to be a mess. You're going to be a mess spiritually, which means probably you're going to be a mess physically because the spiritual has an effect on the physical. Which then you can circle back to where you probably weren't eating in God's green pastures or drinking enough still water, so you... No wonder you're a mess when trouble comes. So, number one, you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Number two, you study. You study. You know you enjoy Christ's benevolent provisions, which is what? His Word, His Spirit. You understand that Christ is sufficient. And that prepares you to stay close with Him, verses 4 to 5, when hard times come. You're content even in the hard times. But then one last step. One last, quote-unquote, secret to David's happiness and contentment. 
It's, it's, it's simply the word see, just to keep the S's. Study or submit, study, stay close, and see. And you say, well, what am I supposed to see? Well, verse 6, what you see is you look behind you is that Christ's goodness and his mercy or his loving kindness has been there the whole time, now and forever. You know, commentaries call these God's sheepdogs. And we're the sheep, but God has sheepdogs, and sheepdogs poke you and, and, and prod you and make sure you're, you're heading down those paths of righteousness. And what are those sheepdogs? Goodness and mercy. Mercy. See, look. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount uh, talking to those uh, who are worried, do not, be new, uh, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. And he says, hey, put your head up and have a look around. Observe, look. See how he takes care of the birds? I mean, we live in an age where uh, everybody's head is down. We're all looking at our phones. Get off the phone and look. Look how, how, how God takes care of the birds. Because Jesus' point is, if you look at that, and you're far more precious and more valuable than the birds, then that will help you to know that you sh there's no reason to be anxious. No reason to grumble, no reason to complain. That word um, mercy or, or, or love is, the Hebrew word is that covenantal love, that loyal love, kesed. And, and the good there is, is goodness. It's just the normal Hebrew word for tov. That's what's following us. Goodness and, and mercy. And I'm secure. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. There is no thing that will snatch me out of his hand. Right? Isn't that what John, Jesus said in John 10? In fact, he said it twice. Nothing's going to snatch you out of the Father's hand, and then he says nothing's going to snatch you out of my hand. But the point is, you, you need to see that. You need, you need to, to, to look around at God's goodness in your life. You need to look around and see God's covenantal loyalty in, in your life. Count your blessings one by one, I think is how the song goes. Uh, David understood, in looking back at his life, and as I said, I think he wrote this at a later stage in his life, uh, but he certainly can look back and see how God had provided everything from safety to provision to a dynasty. It reminded me also of, of Jacob. Remember Jacob, right before he died, he pulled Joseph aside. And he said this, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis 45, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, and then he went on to bless the boys. But just to comment about who God was. My shepherd all my life. The one who's redeemed me from all my harm. I mean, here's a guy that looks back 
I don't know how old you are or whatever age you are now, just look back. See. See the goodness and the covenant loyalty in your life. Know how good He is. Look, the schemes of the devil is to make you doubt. And He wants you to doubt God's goodness. He wants you to doubt God's Word. But have a look around. Have a look around. See. So as I said, David here is a, a happy and content sheep. I, I, I don't know about you, but I love to get to this point. But it begins with submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that covenantal relationship where you do homage to the Son, to the son where you recognize that the Lord is my shepherd. He's my king. And realizing and submitting to Him uh, that in that covenant relationship that He looks after me. He protects me. I am His and He is mine. And therefore I lack nothing. And then I know and enjoy or study Christ's benevolent provisions or to use the metaphor here, I eat of them. I eat of His provisions. Green pastures, still waters, on the paths of righteousness. And then I stay close with Him when I go through hard times. I don't walk away from Him. I walk with Him. His presence is a comfort to me. And then lastly, I, I, I look around. I see, I see Christ's goodness and mercy. I see Christ's goodness and loving kindness in every situation, both now and in the future. I'm a student of His providence. Let me close by reading for you a, a prayer. This is a, a Puritan prayer on contentment. I, I, I love this. In one sense, this is a prayer. But it, it does say it's a, a, a psalm of David. And a psalm is in the, in the Hebrew the idea of plucking. So this was a psalm that was plucked to instruments, probably a harp. Um, but taking the psalm and reflecting on it and reflecting on how, how we're to be content, the Puritans took it as well. And this is what one Puritan wrote in his prayer. And I'm just going to read it as we close. He says, Heavenly Father, if I should suffer need and go unclothed and be in poverty... Make my heart prize your love, know it, be constrained by it, though I be denied all blessings. It is your mercy to afflict and try me with once, for by these trials I see my sins and desire severance from them. Father, let me willingly accept misery, sorrows, temptations, if I can thereby feel sin as the greatest evil and be delivered from it with gratitude towards you. Acknowledging this as the highest testimony of your love. When your son Jesus came into my soul, instead of sin, he, came, he became more dear to me than sin had formerly been. His kindly rule replaced sin's tyranny. Teach me to believe that if, I, if ever I would have any sin subdued, I must not only labor to overcome it, but must invite Christ to abide in the place of it. And he must become to me more than the vile lust had been, that his sweetness, power, life may be there. 
Thus, Father, I must seek a grace upon him contrary to son, sin, but must not claim it apart from himself. When I am afraid of evils to come, comfort me by showing me that in myself I am a dying, condemned wretch, but in Christ I am reconciled and alive. That in myself I find insufficiency and no rest, but in Christ there is satisfaction and peace. That in myself I am feeble and unable to do good, but in Christ I have the ability to do all things. Though now I have his graces in part, I shall shortly have them perfectly. In that state where you will show yourself fully reconciled and alone sufficient, efficient, loving me completely with sin abolished, O oh Lord, hasten that day. Amen. Father, we do pray that prayer ourselves that we would understand something of this contentment that David had, even what this Puritan had. Lord, may we be those who submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that we meditate and study on your word, that we walk with you all the time, that even when the, the hard times come, we don't walk away. We continue to walk, if not flee to you like a, a strong tower. So we stay close. And then finally, Father, we, we do want to see your goodness, see your mercy, see your loving kindness in, in, in every situation, both now and in the future. Lord, we confess that we don't look as we should. We don't study as we should. We walk away. And our obedience is partial. And then we wonder why we are discontent and unhappy and lack joy in our lives. Lord, you have given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And as David says, in your presence is the fullness of pleasures, the fullness of life and joy. Remind us of that. Help us to, to get there by this fourfold plan, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.